Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut. I'm an ASC cinematographer, and I wanted to kind of talk to you about something. Getting started in this industry is almost impossible. And my wife, Lydia, and I, 14 years ago, created a resource called Filmmakers Academy to make it possible. We saw a lot of gatekeeping in this industry and not a lot of sharing knowledge. So we wanted to pull back the curtain, give you confidence, teach you all the necessary skills to be an amazing, successful filmmaker, and package it all on this online resource that you have at your fingertips, on set, on your phone, on your laptop, whatever it is. So we're going to give you $50. So if you go into the show notes, click the link, and hit the promo code FAPOD50, you're going to get $50 on your first year of an all-access membership. And I cannot wait for you to join our immense and immersive community at Filmmakers Academy, where we network, we share knowledge, we just bond as this huge filmmaking uh, resource to ignite your creativity and push you beyond your boundaries. I cannot wait to see you in the Academy, and let's get to the podcast. Welcome to Shane's Inner Circle Podcast with your hosts, Shane and Lydia. All right, Inner Circle members, welcome to the January podcast. And as I sit right here, I am in the middle of Park City and all of the celebrations and amazing movies uh, playing at Sundance. And uh, it's just been an incredible weekend and wonderful meetings and seeing old friends and all this stuff getting together. So I wanted to share that with you. I also wanted to spotlight our trusted partners that provide all the funds and equipment and everything for us to further all of your education and experience through the inner circle. Our trusted partners are Canon, Musicbed, Revolution Cinema Rentals, Tiffin, Free Fly, Small HD, HP, and Black Magic. Hi, Shane. Love your work and just your whole idea of sharing knowledge. I'm shooting a music video soon and messing around with filming through a homemade smash glass filter. Any suggestions or ideas from your side? I know you posted a blog a while back, a music video. You had done something similar, but I couldn't find any reference pictures of how you shot through the glass or how you actually rigged it. Any suggestions on glass types, materials to try, or other effects and thoughts? on this would be appreciated. Thanks, Rick, South Africa. Well, I think, Rick, I saw you on Facebook. You probably already have shot this music video, but I wanted to throw this out anyway to others thinking of this because it's a very cool idea, and I wanted to share this with everyone within the inner circle. So, Rick, I do this in very many ways. A lot of the times, I don't even rig the glass. I like using beveled glass. I'll make the piece probably three inches wide that it's clear glass, and then the bevel is a half inch on the left and right of the glass. And I also bevel the top corners so you can physically move that in front of the lens and you get that cool magnification 
and double imaging and almost prism-esque style. If you look to the example of the last three minutes when the janitor fell and he was having that heart attack and he went into his pocket and it was something that he always kept with him and he looked into the prism and all of a sudden you saw this beautiful woman looking at him and she had like seven or eight images of herself. That was just shooting through a prism that had, I think it was uh, about three inches in diameter and it had all these different facets and angles. And when you literally handheld it in front of the lens, it did that beautiful effect. And that was Eli Jane, who is our model a lot on the camera tests. And she starred in the last three minutes as the janitor's girlfriend and wife, taking you back through his whole life. And that was kind of the transportation that Po Chan, our director, used. On commercial spots, I have used plexiglass, eighth inch pieces of plexi, and I've come out and mounted those to the camera rod so physically when I do pan the camera I angle them to reflect other things it's great to do it on like high-tech commercials and imagery and close-ups Alex first has had mentioned something about shooting bottles a tequila bottle or a lot of people have mentioned like macro photography to kind of jack up macro photography a little bit I do this effect where I mount these plexiglass pieces and they're very, like I said, eighth inch thick, very light. And I clamp them onto like French flags or little Noga arms or whatever. And I put them on the right and left side and I angle them to reflect stuff that's in the deep background with uh, high tech or, or medical stuff. I use this effect on a children's hospital spot. I used it on some kind of drug company spot as well. It just reflects very interesting, like you can put out of focus blown out windows, or you can put medical supply gear that you reflect. You don't even see it in front of the lens, but it ricochets off to the side. And as you pan, all of a sudden that stuff layers into the edge of frame. And you really don't see the line because your focus is so shallow to focus on the physical element of the glass, but the reflection is for far enough away. And I actually rack focus from those and it just makes it very interesting and very unique and kind of a style that I haven't seen many people do. My suggestion, Rick, and to everyone is these are the little nuances that I do to try and take something that would look somewhat ordinary and I inject this to make it kind of extraordinary. Next question. Hi, Shane. I'd love to see here how a scene would naturally play out on set. I've always wanted to see a BTS video of being a fly on the wall during a scene. An unedited, no cuts of just how everything jives on set for a period of time. Hope this is something you can provide. Well, of course we can. This is something that I went into the illumination experience and I kind of really showed everyone how I roll out on the set. So let me condense it down into a fly on the wall scenario. So what we would do is we would all come in at call. The actors would come in and they would rehearse the scene. Usually the director, the cameraman are the only ones watching the scene. When the actors rehearse, a script supervisor maybe as well, everyone else is cleared off the set. 
the actors rehearse the scene. I'm seeing it with the director. We're watching it play out. Depending on the director, he'll do it two or three times to suggestions to the actors. And then once he's very happy and the actors are happy with the blocking and what the scene will entail, we bring in the camera crew. We bring in set dressing. We bring in the first AC, second AC. The camera operators all come in and we watch the actors rehearse the scene. And we set marks. The second AC is running in there and wherever they stand or wherever they sit, they're putting marks in the floor. So we kind of get our ideas. The stand-ins are also watching this so they can see the actors where they move, what they do. I also ask all of my stand-ins to memorize the lines So when the actors do leave the set and we start to light and block and plan all of the photography out, the stand-ins are actually doing this and you can get the pacing correct. You can get your camera push in and move or steady cam or movie or whatever you're doing. You can see that all play out with somewhat of the same cadence that the actors delivered in their rehearsal. So the actors go away to get in hair and makeup And now it's our turn and we get in there and we start to light and we start selecting lenses and we start talking with the director about how we're going to cover it. And we set a plan and attack. Okay, normally you start with the widest view. So the master shot, then you move in to the mediums and then the close up. And then obviously, if you're going to turn around, then you go for a turnaround. On Fathers and Daughters with Russell Crowe and Amanda Seyfried, Aaron Paul, Diane Kruger, we did a lot of three camera setups. That was kind of a very unique and difficult way to light, but I finally got it down about day three to a science of how we would block and the blocking would enable me to do three camera coverage where I wasn't sacrificing the look at all. And that was really kind of a a breakthrough for me because I'd always shot with two cameras in a dramatic scene, never three. And these cameras were opposing each other. So one over the shoulder and one over the shoulder looking absolutely at each other, but with the camera just out of frame, as well as like a 50-50 coverage of them in profile. This was the way that Gabrielli Uh, Muccino, the director, wanted to cover a lot of the scenes because he loves over the shoulders as well as I do. But a lot of times if the actors are not doing the same thing twice, you find yourself in the editing room not being able to use their best performance because it doesn't match in their body language. But shooting with three cameras, you get this amazing ability to use the best take. That's kind of what we did. So we would block this all out. We would set all our cameras. We would rehearse with our wonderful stand-ins that would do the lines and we could figure out the cadence of them moving if they're moving through a space or walk and talk down a street or whatever it is. We start to understand how far they're actually going to go. Even though we've set marks, we're just continually to fine-tune this thing, adding lights, lighting the whole scene. And then when we were ready, we would ask for our actors and our actors would come in. They would sit in wherever they were going or stand in wherever they are. Makeup and hair would come in and finesse. We might get a rehearsal out of the actors 
to make sure all cameras and the actors are doing somewhat the same thing that they did in the rehearsal and just work out the camera blocking to make sure everyone's not blocking each other or we're running into each other. So we'll get a rehearsal sometimes, sometimes not. The actors and the directors just want to go for it. And we have to be very zen and ebb and flow with the way that they do it. And a lot of times it's completely different, but many times it's the same. So you, you find that energy, you find the footing, you find that kind of soul of their performance based on working with them for a couple of days. You're going to understand how they like to roll out. If we do get a rehearsal, we would do that. If we don't, we would go right into it and we would roll all cameras and we would snap the slate and the director would say action and the scene would come alive and we would do it and he would say cut and then he would decide whether we go again or if there was a little technical issue or any kind of, hey, Diane, you were leaning over a little too much. Can you put your weight on your left foot instead of your right. Oh yes, no problem. All these little adjustments are done and then we go for take two. So that's kind of the way it rolls out how I like to do it on set. So you've now just become a fly on the wall. Next question. Hi Shane, thanks again for this great platform to be able to learn from you. With regards to the Illumination Tour, will it be recorded as an in-depth behind the scenes and shared with the other Inner Circle members who are not based in the States? I'm based in London, UK, and would really appreciate being part of the tour, albeit from cameras POV. Thanks, Andreas Neo. Andreas, from a cameras POV, not so much. Uh, we do uh, offer the HD downloads for the workshop and masterclass. So the workshop is about eight and a half hours. The masterclass is about six. They're very intensive and you feel like you're in there. You feel very immersive. But is it a POV kind of camera? No. It's shot by four or five different cameramen. And I think we did a really great job of putting these materials together for you. The inner circle is taking kind of a, a new, I wouldn't say new direction, but I would say this is an add-on to the illumination experience. Getting the HD downloads would be very important for all inner circle members to get if you can afford it. We understand that the price is where it's at, but the education is at that price point of what I share. We are going to be offering all of the Inner Circle members a discount. We're sending off a newsletter as well as a, a letter to all Inner Circle members offering a $100 discount on the bundle. And then I think it's $50 off of the workshop and masterclass. These things will be offered to you. If you're able to afford it, it would be the perfect way to start uh, January because the educational content that we are starting to push will be all about extending the illumination experience from exactly where we stopped. To give you an example, on the illumination experience, I showed you how to take a Fresnel and bounce it into a circle piece of beadboard 
then maybe diffuse that slightly to create a book light. Well, now we're going to take that and we're going to show you how you can bounce a light into 20 different sources, whether it's fabric, whether it's a card, whether it's a material, all of these things are going to be shown and you're going to see a model and a medium and a close-up of how that light quality changes so you can be able to put a lot more looks in your toolbox, let's say, of when you roll out when you want a specific quality of light. Bounce light is one of the most underused types of light because people don't necessarily have the means to control it, but I'm going to show you that it's absolutely worth going down this road and it is absolutely essential to really bring about a very natural style of lighting. So this is just an extension of that. So if you are able to afford the HD downloads, I would suggest that huge. Uh, if not, you're going to be able to take advantage of this amazing content that's coming to the Inner Circle starting in February in the Lighting Technique series. Next question. Hi, Shane. Could you tell me what kind of walkie-talkie radio systems you prefer to use? With best regards, Christian. Christian, what we use in the movie business, and I find is the absolute best, is the Motorola CP200. It's a 16-channel walkie-talkie, come with a headset that goes on your head, like telephone operator would, would do. You can get kind of the CIA headset that goes inner ear, so you can't see anything out on your head. And you can also plug in handsets, so you have like a mic that you can talk into. You're able to get all these three options depending on if you want to rent it, if you want to buy it. Obviously, you have to buy each individual thing. The headsets that are CIA run about $55, $60. I don't know where those uh, Motorola's run in. I think they're a thousand bucks a piece maybe. They're excellent. In the movie business, we have a channel etiquette. Channel 6 is camera, channel 7 is electric, and channel 8 is grip. Production is on channel 1. Channel 2 is the channel to go to when you don't want everyone to hear it on channel 1. And then effects is usually 13, and stunts are usually 14. Somewhat on movies that I've done, this is kind of our channel etiquette, so people are not stepping on each other. Shane, a lot of freelance work that I do is extreme low budget and most of the time forces myself to wear a ton of hats on set. I love doing this, but I know for a fact it doesn't always make for the most effective team. I don't have hardly any professional set experience except at a PA level, so I'm having trouble delegating tasks to the appropriate people such as my AC and sometimes my second AC. My overall question is how do you know when you should be giving someone else a task instead of doing it yourself? All right, let's answer that one. Delegating authority, and this is uh, sent by Lucas Wyatt. He's got a couple other questions, and I will uh, continue to answer all of these. But let's start with this one. Delegating authority. This is a very powerful thing to do. And a lot of times when you are used to doing everything yourself, uh, you have a difficult time doing this. In my years of experience, I've gotten better and better and better at delegating. It is very essential to be efficient on the set. If you are hiring these amazing technicians to assist in bringing you and the director's vision to life, then you need to trust them and believe in them and empower them to be their very best. That's your job as a cinematographer. Moving forward with this, 
you want to delegate as much as you can and stuff that would take too long to describe and you can just go over there and do it. Those are the kind of things I just do like set dressing. A lot of the times if I'm looking through the lens and I see that something's a little off or or over to the right or something, and I look around, if the set dresser is right there, I will ask him or her to do it. If they're off moving furniture or doing something else, I'll go over there and slide the thing one way or the other or ask my AC to run over there and do it so I can be looking through the lens because a lot of times these are where I screw up as well. Obviously, if you're looking through the lens and somebody else is moving that thing, you get it in the right place. What I do is, of course, I'm thinking, okay, it's taking me way too long to describe what the heck I want. So I run over there and I move it and I come back to the camera and it's still in the wrong place. And I run over there and I move it and then I come back and it's still not in the right place. And then somebody says, yo, Shane, uh, do you want me to just move it for you and you can look through the lens? Oh, what a novel concept. (laughs) So these are the kind of things where, you know, I even make these mistakes because sometimes it is worth just taking the time to tell the person what you want. But a lot of times I I came from the grip and lighting side. I love to touch C-stands. I love to tie knots. I love to grab lights and focus them. You know, my grip and electric team completely understands that when Shane's headed to something, it's probably because it would take much longer for him to describe exactly what he wants and just let him have at it and uh, do what he needs to do and then go back to the camera. But delegating is very important and uh, the more experience you get on set, the more you will understand how powerful this is. And it also gives your crew members when they do an amazing job, call them out, tell them how awesome they are, support them in every way. When there's an amazing focus pull or credible operation or the lighting looked awesome and then you're moving on to the next shot, tell everyone, my God, that was awesome. Great. It looks so amazing. Thank you, lighting and grip team, camera. You just rocked it out. All right, let's move to the next one. This kind of reinsurance and port is makes the crew shine so bright and they will go to the end of the earth for you. It's so important to build this community and this wonderful support. Next part of the question. Also, Shane, I've only known about your blog for the past couple of days. One of my good friends from back home works at WPA. That would be Amber. I love her. Speaks crazy high of you. I've learned more about the filmmaking in the past five days than I think in the past five years combined. Awesome. Thank you for the way you deliver the information. It's easy to comprehend and inspiring. The few sets I've been able to work on, mostly reality TV, yuck. You don't get to learn the craft. I think it feels like people don't teach because they are too afraid to lose their jobs. A very cutthroat situation. Your blog doesn't hold the information over our heads, out of reach. You let us see and describe in great detail tons of situations. Thank you so much for that. I'm 28, and I just love shooting, lighting, the art. I've been held up at a a post-production job, producing and editing for about five years now, but you've inspired me to get back on set again. Thank you, and I can't wait to learn more and more every day, especially from you. Thanks, Luke Wyatt. Okay, Luke. Well, 
You are so very welcome. I think what Hurlbut Visuals, what Lydia has built, and, and the way we share knowledge and the way we condense and break it down, I think we are really firing on 12 cylinders. I was just in a party the other day, Sundance, and somebody said, you know, I, I went and I did this uh, presentation and I find I learn so much each time I do it. And I said, well, I found with the whole education and sharing of knowledge, it's kind of forced me to go back to how I learned. And a lot of times I went from A to like, let's say D or G and I skipped. Well, with teaching all of you, I go back A and then I go to B and then I go to C and then I go to D. I might've jumped those steps when I was starting out and now through this inner circle, I'm kind of taking myself back through this process, how I learned and I am learning right alongside all of you. This is one thing I wanna stress huge and what all of you are doing on Facebook, sharing of all of your knowledge, this forum is absolutely insane. It's so good. With this sharing of knowledge, uh, it really helps you learn as well. I have learned so much from all of you. I thank you for taking me through this process because I'm discovering stuff that I jumped over in uh, my plight to get to the top and be a cinematographer. And now I'm coming back and learning it all over again in a kind of a slower format of how I've been teaching you. It is awe-inspiring. So I thank you, Luke, and I thank everyone in the inner circle. You all rock. Next question. How do you feel about a director wanting to operate the camera? Oh, I love that stuff. Operating the camera as a director, a lot of directors like to operate a second or third camera. It enables them to get coverage that might be in their mind. They might try their best to convey that, but sometimes they can't. You know, I set all my operators down when we embark on a project, talking about the composition, talking about the feeling, the mood, what the tone of the film should be and the energy and all that stuff. So the operators have that in their mindset. So when they go to compose shots, they're thinking about the direction that the cinematographer and the director have kind of want the movie to feel like. When you look back to something like Crazy Beautiful, I wanted to do a lot of off frames, very classic in some ways and locked off and restrained and restrictive. But then at the same time, when they started to fall in love, the frames were kind of like a teenager, inconsistent and off-angled and a lot of headroom or a lot of footroom or way off to one side or, you know, left or right. The style of photography uh, is discussed as well as what a close-up should look like. A lot of people, when they come in for a close-up, for some reason, they like to hold hair. When I go in for an extreme close-up, I like to hold just above the eyebrow and right cutting just below the mouth. That's like an extreme close-up. And then a close-up, I would include the chin and a little air, but still keeping just above the eyebrow for the close-up. So these are things that you talk through with your operators so that everyone's on the same page. Like I said, sometimes the director will do his best, his or her best to convey this information if they want to operate a camera. I know they are thinking about some other shot that they really can't put into words and they would just better off and do it themselves. So I encourage it and I love that. Hi, Shane. 
Thanks for the opportunity. My question is about color palette. I do know that films can be graded during DI, but getting the image as close as final result during shooting is also important. A lot of things like art department, costumes make great contributions to that. And as a cinematographer, it is his job to select the suitable color palette during pre-production with other departments. The problem I have is I don't know anything about colors. Is there any general rules for selecting a color? Could you please guide me from basic to advanced thing about selecting color palettes for movies? If there are any books or paintings worth taking a look at, and as a DP, how would you choose a color palette depending on your movie? What are your thoughts while choosing? And could you please share your thoughts about color palette from the movie The Greatest Game Ever Played? I really liked it. Geez, that's a lot of information to condense down into a podcast, but I will do my best. I like to do a specific color chart that I bring along with me. And it's classic colors from the early, like the late Victorian age and the early 1900s. And it's a Victorian, uh, Sherman Williams makes them. Uh, Sherman Williams makes this kind of Victorian palette as well as a craftsman palette. And it has all these wonderful colors that I like to use on all of my sets. And I will specifically work with the production designer to get his or her thoughts on it as well. But this is a wonderful way to kind of get it in the ballpark. They're very unique and they're not too powerful. And I think they add a wonderful palette to depending on what your mood and tone in your film is. Now, how do you select mood and tone? Well, that's kind of done through the production designer, through the director and the cinematographer costumes. We all sit down, we all talk about what the mood and tone should be of the film. Need for Speed is in the, you can watch it. So let's take that for example. We used a still photographer called Todd Hedo as our reference. His light it's very naturalistic. He has very strong uses of color in the cyans, the blue tones, the very tobacco-y, warmy golden tones, browns. So with that palette that we kind of got the production design, we got uh, wardrobe and everything together, we created the palette for Need for Speed. And we created Toby Marshall's, Aaron Paul's world and his shop and his interior and the color of the walls, the paneling, the, the shop walls in where he worked on his cars, the light quality in there. We wanted to do very mixed source and that's something that Hedo does as well. It's cool white mixed with sodium vapor mixed with metal halide. We did a lot of mixed source lighting as well. And this was kind of the style of the film and the color palette went along with it. We didn't want it to be a desaturated world. We wanted people to feel alive and their skin to have a vitality to it and a richness. And when you were on the street, it wasn't just this mundane browns of sodium vapor and kind of flat. It had great contrast and golden mix of color and, and uh, very, you know, hyper real right on the edge of being reality or being just a little too over the top. And we rode that very thin line to kind of bring this 
reality-based story as well as reality-based driving and stunt because we didn't do a lot, hardly any CGI work in the film. We weren't creating CGI cars or helicopters. We were putting the actors in the scene, in the moment, immersing the audience as if they were driving behind the steering wheel. So that color palette was that kind of world. And working through this, you design that. And I try to take a, a still photographer as a great way to find the mood and tone so everyone can say, oh, here's the still. This is what you're thinking about. And this is where we head. The greatest game we ever played I used a book called Bound for Glory. This book was 1,600 reclaimed Kodachrome pictures that were found in somebody's attic during the FSA period. This is around the late 30s to early 40s. These had never been seen before. Uh, they were discovered in 2003, printed in 2004, and bound in this book called Bound for Glory, America in Color. It's an incredible book, and that was my inspiration for the greatest game ever played. Heavy contrast, beautiful, rich colors, contrast, shadows, coats, darkness would go jet black, no detail. Uh, and this was what Kodachrome was. It had a very minimal latitude. So two stops down, it went into blackness. It had a very chalky aspect to its contrast as well. So you had that extreme contrast, but then there was a chalkiness in the black sometimes. So we did a, a very unique process of what we call chalk and drop, where to create this kind of style of photography in the greatest game, we took the mid-tones and we cranked them up all the way and kind of pushed the mids way past their breaking point. And then we took the blacks and completely crushed them. And that mix of when you push the mids and crush the blacks, it creates a chalkiness and a kind of a halo transitioning into the blacks. That was the look of the greatest game. And then taking the color palette of these bound for glory shots, it really showed the power of this color because I didn't want to do a sepia tone 1900 period look. Uh, we wanted it to be very progressive, but period, we wanted to take the audience on a journey, whether they were flying with the ball or being hit in the face with a golf club like you were getting punched. We wanted it very interactive and, and going inside the golfer's mind. So, you know, if you're on a tee and you're seeing all these people, Harry Varden's power was he would vaporize everyone and turn the golf course as well as vaporizing the trees into a lynx course that he had always played in Britain. So this was his vision. Francis's vision was up at the tee box, about ready to hit. And he would literally take his mind and bring the hole 400 yards away. He'd bring the pin right up to his face. So as he hit it, it was like he was hitting it six inches. And that kind of mental telepathy of right in line and focused on that point. These were the things, the inspiration, the color palette. We used the Craftsman palette again from Sherman Williams to color all the walls. Worked with this still photography, these old FSA Kodachrome prints for the inspiration and the look and the feel. Next question, why the logging background photo? I like it. I think it's an interesting choice, but just wanted to know your opinion. I get asked this a lot, and I want to fill you in on what my thought process was with this. 
The Pioneer's photo that is the Inner Circle logo is a 1888 still shot from the Pioneer's that basically blazed the trail in the Upper Northwest. And those are all redwoods and pines and everything that they've cut down to clear room for cities and towns in the upper Northwest. I thought it was fitting because the Inner Circle is a select group of cinematographers and filmmakers. There we are all up on the logs. And those logs that we all just cut down is you are going on the trailblazing experience with me to forge new paths to really shape the future of filmmaking. And the inner circle is all about that trailblazing and pioneering the way to kind of show the new future and where we're headed. And by me using the same tools that all of you have access to, as well as shooting major motion pictures, it's kind of proof of concept. I'm just, just not running a blog where I talk about stuff. I actually talk and do and educate. And the photo I thought was a wonderful representation of that. And uh, my director friend, Po Chan, who did the ticket and the last three minutes and many commercials alongside me, that image she found. And I thought it was absolutely fitting for this incredible uh, group that is the inner circle. Next question. Is there a way to download the podcast so that I can listen to it when I'm away from my computer? Thank you. Well, we have done that. We have uh, listened to all of you, and I want to thank you so much for enjoying the podcast. And now the podcasts are downloadable. You can put them on your whatever device you listen to and in the car or whatever. Uh, you can now do it without being attached to your computer. So thank you very much. And yes, we have it. Next question. Hi, Shane. In regards to your Illumination tour, I was wondering if you plan to make a downloadable version that people can buy for those who cannot attend. I'm from Australia and would love to go, but it's not just not possible for me. Kind regards, Cameron. Yes, we have made the Illumination Experience Tour uh, an HD download. You can grab the masterclass, you can grab the workshop, or you can grab the bundle. And we're sending out this month in February, we're sending out a, a letter telling you that we're offering deeper discounts on the HD downloads for all Inner Circle members. You should take advantage of that. And I described it to another question that our learning experience is going to be happening kind of after the Illumination Tour in the Inner Circle, and I'm going to be showing you incredible lighting techniques and everything that will expand that knowledge past the Illumination Experience Tour. Hi, Shane. I just finished listening to your August podcast, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. You mentioned that those who work with you have learned how to be fearless. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that at some point. How do you give your people the confidence to be fearless in a high-pressure environment where failures are very costly? What advice do you have about how to aim for collaboration excellent without letting the film shoot devolve into a scene where everyone screams at each other? 
Thanks for all that you share. The content I've gone through has been quite helpful, and I should be caught up on everything by the end of the month. I'm still hoping that you'll come on my podcast at some point. If you do, I will think up a special way to raise awareness for your illumination uh, workshop. I'll send another request to your media person on your site. Regards, Nick Sabinas. Well, thank you very much, Nick, and I appreciate all of your wonderful comments, everyone, about what we have built here and the sharing of knowledge. Fearless, let's address that question. I guess the best way to enable your crew to be fearless is for you to be that example. My crew sees that I just move forward into the light and go to the cliff and I jump. They see that and it's very empowering. By leading by example is the best way to do this. Look at Active Valor. I hired all these technicians that had never seen a DSLR before, never even worked with that camera system. And through my guidance and just telling them, guys, I understand, I know we're going to make mistakes, but this is the right way to tell this story. There is no other camera that can tell it the way the directors and I want this to be. So let's just hunker down and just go at it. Do your very best to research as much as you can and be your very best, but let's jump off the cliff together. And Active Valor was a perfect example of that. Did we fail many times? Absolutely. Did we learn from our failures? Yes. Did we make success? Did we take those challenges and conquer them? Absolutely. The movie is a testament to my incredible uh, camera team. So many shout outs to all of them for making that movie possible. Because without them, there was no way that I could have made that movie. They were absolutely, every crew member is absolutely essential in delivering you and the director's vision. Just want to kind of throw that out there. Lead by example. Need for Speed was again another one of those films. Nobody had worked with the Canon C500 before. The camera was only out for one month before we started shooting with it. Uh, getting a team up to speed. I had to turn to my assistant, Derek Johnson, and I go, Derek, you need to be a walking manual. You need to know what every button is, what every submenu, whatever submenu to the submenu is, whatever submenu to the submenu to the submenu is, everything you need to basically put that into your mind. And he did. He walked around from camera to camera and got every AC up to snuff on everything uh, on a daily basis because we just did not have time to learn the whole camera system, every technician to learn the camera system. So I had to rely on Derek to be the brains of that operation and really knock it out. And this is how you empower. He, he became fearless in his way that he could walk into any situation, program the stuff perfectly. You know, the video guy would say, I'm not getting a signal. And, you know, he would go over there. And of course, it was turning it from PCDP to PCP or whatever the heck it is. I don't understand any of that weirdness, but he does. And bam, all of a sudden videos like, got it. Derek Johnson really was a fearless uh, individual on that movie. And uh, through much guidance and understanding, my whole crew became very fearless because if we failed, I did not sit there and reprimand them. Every day we would come into the camera truck at the end of our day and we would say, okay, what did we do great? And we'd talk about it. What did we really suck at? 
and we talk about and what was an absolute complete failure and we talk about that and each day we would try to better what we sucked at and try to do one thing that we failed at. I wasn't asking them to do everything better and everything uh, every day. It's too much on a team working with a camera system that no one's really worked with before. So it's like what you say in the military, crawl, walk, run. And that's what you have to do with pioneering technology and trailblazing something that nobody has ever really worked with before. As a cinematographer, you need to understand that equipment better than the whole team. I had Derek Johnson as my assistant, as the extension of me, but I also knew that camera system pretty much inside and out, except for this PCP, PDP, whatever that is, and maybe programming the Codex and the Gemini. But other than that, I really could get inside the whole menu system and have that camera do whatever I needed it to do. You need to as cinematographers, as filmmakers, it's very important to understand technology. The reason they call making films, it's a mix of art and science. If you forget the science thing and just involve yourself with the art, you are leaving so many wonderful, amazing things on the table that you could ever or never imagine because you're not embracing the technology. I have learned so many different ways to move a camera because I have been very tech savvy. And if I hadn't have been that, I would have never known or even taken the leap of faith and jumped off that cliff to find a specific different style of camera emotion or camera energy that no one really knew about because I really dove inside the tech and really made it something special. So I hope that answers your question, Nick. Now we're going to move on to our last and final question. Hello, Shane. I'm thinking about taking the Illumination Experience Workshop and Masterclass, but before I jump in, I want to know if the class is for all levels of film experience. I'm not a cinematographer, but I've always had the desire to learn more about the craft. I went to film school, which emphasized in writing and directing. While I was in school, I took a a lighting class, a camera AC, tech side I've retained. By day, I'm a technical director in news production. On my free time, I'm working on developing, writing, and directing my own films and projects, and I would like to try my hand as a DP for some of my smaller projects. Is this class for me, or will I get lost with some of the cinematography lingo I may or may not know? Thanks, Eddie. Well, obviously, the Illumination Experience uh, Tour is over. I hope you were able to take advantage of it, Eddie. The reason I wanted to answer this specific question is I think what Eddie is talking about is very crucial. We specifically designed this curriculum, and now it's available in the HD downloads for the workshop and masterclass to be able to educate all levels. And I think we've done an amazing job. I never talk above you. We all are in it together in a very immersive way. We're learning all together. And some of the stuff that might be at a beginner's level, you will find that I'm talking about big ideas and more of the why behind the how. And the why is relates to anyone at a beginner's level and anyone at advanced. I show you how I light and how I conceptualize movies and how I go into the prep process and unite all the departments to work as one finely oiled machine. And 
This has taken me 20 years to perfect and master. And if you're a writer director, getting the workshop and masterclass will teach you how to write more visually and, and write in a way that also uh, evokes camera emotion. It will also teach you as a director how to think about the camera emotion and the lighting emotion in scenes and how you can educate your cinematographer to go for that vision. This is just not a cinematography workshop. This is a workshop that is absolutely powerful for writers, for directors, for gaffers, for CGI artists, for technicians, for first ACs, for camera operators, for editors. This is really gets you to understand how for 20 years I've taken this process and really kind of sharing it with all of you. And it's a really amazing way to go about prepping your commercial, prepping your corporate video, prepping your feature, your indie, whatever it is, you can use these amazing tools at a beginner's level and at an advanced level to, to learn from. There you have it. Well, this concludes our January podcast. Again, I want to thank all of our trusted partners and thank all of you for being Inner Circle members. And I just want you all to hold on to your short shorts because February really marks the change of a style of content within the Inner Circle. And I'm very excited to share this with all of you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. What helps you become a better filmmaker? Knowledge, practice, consistency. That's exactly what happens in our loving film community of shanesinnercircle.com. Knowledge you can trust, people that care. If you want your questions answered, join us at shanesinnercircle.com. Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut, and I'm an ASC cinematographer. And my wife and I have created this incredible resource called the Filmmakers Academy. And we'd love for you to download and rate our app. If you're a filmmaker, do yourself a favor and download the Filmmakers Academy app today. It's available wherever you get your apps. Most notably, the App Store, Google Play, Amazon App Store, and the Roku Channel Store. The app includes everything on the platform for all access members and from content to community and coaching opportunities, everything you need to master your craft. So download the app. And this is the most important part. Be sure to rate it. Rating us really helps us spread the word and enhance our rankings in this dedicated app store. So if you love what we're doing, this is a way to show it. Together, let's take your career as a filmmaker to the next level.